2: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we're talking about strategic planning efficient, effective, or neither. Welcome,
3: Ed. Hey, Ron, how you doing?
2: I am great. I'm really looking to the, uh, forward to this show, and I, again, we uh, have to give a shout out to Mark Gandhi, one of our listeners who wrote us a while back in October, I believe, and suggested that we do a show on strategic planning. Now, Mark, I don't know if we're going to hit all of the points that you made that you wanted us to cover, but... Um, Just fortuitously, Ed, you recently posted something on your LinkedIn account, and of course, we will uh, post it up on our show notes. Uh, I thought it was a great post, by the way, and it's called Five Counterintuitive Truths About Strategic Planning. And so I kind of wanted to ask you some questions about that and go through it with you.
3: All right, you're going to interview me. That's kind of the deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah why not? You're, you're, okay, so you're a keep guests to get on. <laughs> okay, yeah, exactly. And keep 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 in mind, I've spent most of today at the at the Marion PT, Marion Elementary School with my son. It was I was the watchdog today. Dads of great students is the program kind. I think I mentioned it last year at this time because I had a similar thing. So, yeah, my mind is on handing out sporks to fourth graders. But it's it's all good. It's all good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, Ed, around the strategic planning, yeah, or yeah. maybe just planning, you know, it's often been called future thinking or trying to control the future. Um, I think it's really interesting, by the way, shout out to your dad. Planning comes from the Latin planum, meaning, uh-huh. flat, sur- meaning flat surface. Right. The word didn't Engli- enter the English language until the 17th century, where it referred to principally to forms. Such as maps and blueprints drawn on <laughs> flat surfaces. Flat
3: surfaces, yeah. Uh,
2: so um, I think there's a lot of myths about planning, and uh, a lot, of, you know, who knows if it's if it's uh, implemented correctly. Uh, I think it's this is one of those topics. I think I think it's very similar to is the idea more valuable than its execution? Um, but you lay out so, and we'll talk about that because I want to bring in a yeah. book that. I read on this by a guy named Henry Mintzberg called The Rise and Fall of Strategic Planning, which is just brilliant. I mean, this book was written in 94, so what, it's 22 years old, and I think it's just as relevant today as it was then. That's how timeless it is. It's just wow, one good. of those business cool. books that's timeless. So, but on your five counterintuitive truths, let's just dive in. Well, first off, what made you write this?
3: Well, I am doing a series of webcasts for the SAGE team, actually specifically the SAGE 50C team, and they had asked me to do uh, some webcasts, and I I, I put a a set of three together. The first one was delivered almost a month ago, and that was on creating shared vision in a small firm or a small business, I think it was officially titled. And so I I actually want to say that that is – Really, the presupposition that I have even going into a, a conversation about strategy is that one has a shared vision that has been articulated and at least disseminated somewhat into the organization. I think this, it's, it's critically important that you put vision first before strategy. I think it, people, a lot of people make a mistake of, of going to strategy before their vision is is clearly articulated and that's a big a big mistake and um but by, by the way that the background on that my thinking on that goes goes back to my work with my mentor howard hansen when i had my own firm and he introduced me to a model called the 7s model which was first posited i think by well probably a lot of folks at mckenzie and company but articulated specifically in tom peters and bob waterman's Classic book in search of excellence. I think it wasn't that the first best business seller, best bestseller for business, Ron? Like,
2: yeah, I mean, pretty much. It it started that whole genre, I think.
3: Yeah, I mean, before 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 that book, there was maybe one shelf dedicated to your bookstore. You know, yeah, and, then, and it was full it was, of Drucker, whole, right? Full of Drucker, and then there was a whole, <laughs> then there was a, then there was a whole section on business, and then a whole you know, b- big big stacks on business. And of course, we don't have bookstores anymore, so that's really. <laughs> kind of spun out of control and interesting interesting point of view anyway that so the, the 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 7s model um was put forward in the in the book in search of excellence and what's interesting about it is that there was no precedence giving to any of the s's um and uh i probably well maybe i could name them off the top of my head but it's it's um shared vision strategy staff skills structure style and systems hey i got them and there was, But there was no precedence given to any of them. They were all around like this center thing. They, they, Peters and Waterman called it the happy atom. And Howard, in, in the work that he did with Great Plains, um, worked with a McKinsey consultant who changed the model a little bit and put shared vision and strategy and pulled them off to the left of the model. And the intention was that you then read the model from left to right. So you start with shared vision, then strategy, and then the third bubble – is staff. I don't like the word staff, but people begins with a p, so let's just go with it. And so we have staff and then hanging off of staff is the skills, structure, style and systems. Again, that first bubble is shared vision. Um, interesting tidbit by the way, Ron, that the the McKinsey consultant who we believe made this modification to the 7S model is now the governor of North Dakota. <laughs> oh okay (laughs) so yeah a guy by the name of doug bergam who who uh was the ceo of of great plains for a long time he actually bought into the company great plains but he was he was the ceo and brought some of his Mackenzie flair with him and made this 7s model pretty ubiquitous throughout the organization so (laughs) The first thing that happens is shared vision. We can talk that. That's that's my first presupposition for even beginning strategic planning, and it is unfortunately one of the mistakes that people make is beginning strategic planning before they have a shared vision.
2: Right. And would you equate that shared vision to Simonson X Y or purpose?
3: It's very close. Um, I, I think there are some nuances to those, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when taken all together, that the, what what is classically called the mission statement um, is an an element or a central purpose. Sometimes it's referred to as central purpose. That's what what Jim Collins and his crew call it, mm-hmm. uh, or just purpose. Right? right. That that thing is probably closest to Simonson X Y, and it, it. I think it's important because, and this leads back to the article. The first. The first point that I made in the article is that profit is not an adequate foundation for strategy, and that purpose is. And, th- and that's what I was trying to articulate in that bullet point, that the first thing that we have to articulate is, is what is the purpose of the organization. And I, 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 and I know I've shared this story on the Soul of Enterprise before, but it's, it's a great one. It's well worth repeating. It's not really a story. It's, a, it's, a, it's an analogy that was I, I learned from John Mackey. The CEO of Whole Foods in his book, Conscious Capitalism, where he talks about business being, or I'm sorry, profit in a business being the equivalent of red blood cells in the body, right? They're necessary conditions for survival. Without the replication of red blood cells, you die. In fact, it's one of the definitions of death, inability to produce red blood cells. But I don't know about you, Ron, but I don't. I don't wake up in the morning going, "Hey, red blood cell production." Right. On the right. list of things to do today, right? So w- I don't think we do that. Nor should a business, to, or nor should people in business, go to work thinking, "Hey, we're going to produce a profit today," right? Because profit is the result, not the cause. And I, I think that's what Mackey articulately points out in this in this analogy that profits are are like the red blood cells. They are a necessary condition for continued survival, but they are not—they are not why you get up in the morning. Right,
2: that makes total sense, and, and and we've talked a lot about that, and 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 what some famous entrepreneurs like Henry Ford and Thomas Edison and Stanley Marcus said about with respect to profit, you know. So I think that that fits in beautiful. But just on that point, Ed, you you know your counterintuitive truth number one about profit is not an adequate foundation for strategy. I also think, you know, it also – people tend to get very analytical uh, in in these meetings, and it seems like they're doing nothing more but budgeting because we have data.
3: Yep, yep. And you know who makes a great point on that, Ron? And I, I actually did incorporate that into my presentation, although it's not directly made in the uh, article there, is our, our buddy Jules Goddard, right? Yeah. Um, and his 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 famous line about strategy being the rare and precious gift of staying one step ahead of being efficient. But he's got this great little graph in in his book. And I always say it wrong, but so it, uh, un, uncommon sense, common nonsense. Right. Did I get that right? I think that's the title of the book.
2: I, I can never um, remember.
3: <laughs> right. But he's got this great little graph. And w- what it shows is it's it's a kind of the, there's the, the X axis is past and future. Right, the yep. x-axis is past and future, and then the the y-axis is. Um, uh, I I think of it. He says planning and competition, but I think of it as internal and external. Right, and what he, what he says budgeting is a function of looking at the past and and any and internal mechanisms. Right, so we look back at the past at our data, and we look at it's our data. Right. And that's budgeting that's what he calls budgeting but strategy sits in the, the this other quadrant of being about the future and external right yep and 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 I think far too often people begin to talk about strategic planning and it you're right it ends up n- being no more than a budgeting exercise because they they they, they re- it's it's all internal they, they're they not thinking externally at all
2: exactly yep that, that's that's what i see quite a bit when you sit through some of these meetings or just even even some of the literature on it is <laughs> it, it, it it you know devolves into that as well um well we're probably not going to have time to cover this point ed but your second counterintuitive truth is we do not want for answers we suffer from an inability to ask new and better questions mm-hmm. and i think
3: yeah was somewhat inspired by eric hoffer wasn't it? it it definitely was and um perhaps we should pick that up after our first bake break because it, it is pretty an in, in-depth in and, and nuanced point but we want to remind you that you can get a hold of us at TSO, ask TSOE at Verisage.com. If you send an email to that address, it will go to both to myself and Ron. You can visit our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, and we've got some fun stuff up there. You can buy a copy of our book, but more importantly, get a link to all the of the show's archives across the top of the page. You'll be able to click on our show archive and see every show that we've done. I think one we're up to this might be show 120, as I recall. So oh. we're we're getting pretty pretty close, you know, the getting up there. So we, but right now we want to hear from our sponsor, uh, Leading Results. We are talking strategy here on the soul of enterprise today. You know, Ron, one of the th- the challenges that I see with strategy, especially as small business owners and entrepreneurs look at it, is that there's this really bad, I, I think meme that's that strategic planning is very mysterious and mystical. you know it requires oh, yeah. black box. Re- Right, it re- it requires you know Jack Welsh and, and all of the powers that were a G to go some cra- place, crazy like you know Reykjavik, Iceland, and s- sit around and talk, lock themselves in a mud cave for a while, and until they burn the paper and white smoke comes out, and you know then then we have strategy, but it's really not it's really not that hard, um, it's really just a, a, asking a, a specific set of questions, and. You were the one who actually introduced me to Eric Hoffer. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you know about Eric Hoffer? Well, Eric
2: Hoffer was just a, he was a longshoreman in San Francisco, but he was a self-taught philosopher. I've read uh, quite a, quite a number of his books. And I've also read a a biography on him, Ed. In his early years, nobody knows. Nobody knows where he came from. The (laughs) the speculation is Germany, you know, might have had a past with, with, the Nazis, whatever, I mean, nobody really knows, but anyway, just a really super intelligent guy, and I thought just a fantastic writer, um, but when I ran across that quote of his, and and I think you paraphrase it or something, but, you know, mm-hmm. the, the humanness came of age when man asked the first question, Right. <laughs> boy, does that, because answers can be given by grunts and gestures, right, he's saying, but... Yep. You know our our lack of focus on questions is is when society decays and and i I think the same thing about whether it's value or strategy or whatever just the ability to ask really good questions as we talked about on multiple shows um you know great questions is inspiring and it easily rallies people you want to answer a great question or dig deeper you know it just it's a it's a great motivator to action and that's that's what I love about this point here. That it, it's not about answers; it's about questions.
3: Yep, and, and and then that leads to the third point, which is what I call the mother of all strategic questions, or the Moask. Um, I, I think I've talked a little bit about this on some, a couple of previous shows, probably the 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 show on questions as well. But what. I think is most intriguing is that I still to this day all of the the strategic planning literature that I've encountered, and whether this is balance scorecard or even some of the lean six sigma guys, but it, all of these these different strategy plans that are out there, I think they ask the wrong opening question because their first question is usually some derivative of how much revenue do we need to produce in the given strategic period. Yeah. Right. And then everything else follows from that. The problem is, is that 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 question then focuses the organization internally, like how are we going to produce that revenue? How many leads do we need? How many customers do we have to have? Right. So it, it focuses the re- the remainder of the conversation, then 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 looks internally. And I think, um, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily internally. And I th- but I think the bet the better question to ask came to me a number of years ago when. I guess I was just thinking this through, and I said the real, the, the real mother of all strategic questions is how much value are we going to create for our future customers in some given period, you know, two years, three years, five years, and how are we going to do that? Because that question focuses, at least initially, on external, right? On, yeah. on outside the organization. And it's not it, we're not talking about um, the, the stuff that we can do and how many customers do we need. We're talking about how do we create value,
2: Right. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I I love that. I love that Moask. And yeah, then you I, I
3: think I think it ties in, quickly, it also ties into the value gap analysis that we've talked about on a number of shows too because that that in in essence it's the value gap on steroids, right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. I just, you know, I think about the whole what's the lifetime value of a customer, right? And and turning that around and asking, what is the lifetime value of your of your organization to your customer. Right. I think that's a, that's a much more broad, expansive way to look at it. And I, I got to believe companies like Intel or Apple try and do that. You know, how much uh, of what other areas could we add value to people's lives?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they've got to, they've absolutely got to.
2: So. And so your fourth point at is strategic planning is more creative than analytical.
3: Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I think th- th- this one probably gets a little bit of, you know, people shaking their heads at me because, uh, w- I, especially if I'm talking to a group of accountants, boy, do they they want to analyze, Ron, right? They, oh, they you know, want they, data. The, yep, yeah, and they want data, and they want the, they want the and I, I, the, I got this analogy, I think, from you. They want the paint-by-number strategic plan, yep. right? You know, show me a picture of the Mona Lisa in paint-by-number, and I'll copy it. Because that's proven. It's proven, you know?
2: Yeah, <laughs> that false we, sense of security or false sense of precision with data, right? right. It, whether it's scientism or whatever we want to call it, but, you know, pseudoscientific knowledge. I think sometimes that's more dangerous than just plain ignorance or common mm-hmm. sense.
3: <laughs> right. Oh, I'd rather I, have I common sense. Right, right, common sense. And that's Well, that's, that's Goddard's point, too, and... The, the 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 challenge with data, as we've talked about, especially financial data, is it's it's all historical. It's all based on the past. And the analogy that I usually talk about is out of out of um, Nasim Taleb's work, right? The the Turkey hypothesis. It says you know that the the Turkey for the first thousand days of his life thinks everything's going good. In fact, the happiness factor is going up. He's getting fed every day. Everything's wonderful. Of course, the thousand and first day is Thanksgiving. And, you know, if the turkey used the past to predict how Thanksgiving day was going to go, right, he'd have like this, you know, 98% probability of ranking that it was going to be in this range. Yeah. And guess what? <laughs> Not so good.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it does become when you start looking at data, then you're talking about extrapolation. You're not talking about creativity anymore. You're just talking about extrapolating the past, and and then you have this theory that you know the past is or the future is going to equal the past plus five percent or whatever. And I think that's a very perilous theory to to walk around with. But I think the other thing it does, Ed, focusing on numbers and analytics, not only does it bring it inward, like you said, and focus everybody inward, we all turn inside on ourselves, but even if you executed it flawlessly, it would just be institutional incrementalism.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you'd just yep. be tinkering at the edges. You're not really doing anything, you know, radically different.
3: Nope. You know, and this is where I think about the the work of our brilliant colleague at Verisage, Tim Williams, and his mantra to innovate for growth, price for profit. Right. This notion that what we need to do is is centered around innovation, right. How do we how how do we innovate and that and that's where the Moas comes into play because the the Moas you know how much revenue how how much value are going are we going to create almost is insistent upon spending a considerable amount of time thinking about creativity and innovation,
2: right and oh. and data you know as uh, Clayton Christensen says is only can only confirm the past and. If we want to peer into the future, we have to either use imagination or e- some type of theory postulization about, you know, what if X causes Y, whatever. But uh, I think that's a really, really good – another really good point that you make in this article. And then your last one is strategy is about effectiveness, not efficiency.
3: Ah, uh, <laughs> the, the effing debate. Rear the effing the debate. head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's almost like I with a, I I got this disease from you, Ron. I can't help it, right? I just got I gotta like get a dig in on the efficiency crowd um, whenever I possibly can. And and well, I think it's pretty clear. And this this is in in somewhat of an answer to our show title here: strategy is not efficient, right? Now, strategy can be sometimes, unfortunately, about how are we going to be more efficient, right? But the actual process itself, itself of developing strategy is anything but efficient.
2: Yes, absolutely.
3: Right? <laughs> in fact, if, if if it is efficient, I'd be worried. I'd be scared. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that was a great strategy. We were very efficient in our strategy.
2: Yep. Like having an efficient marriage. It just doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you
3: know, so that that kind of scares me. Um, and and again, it just we always have to put this caveat in there. It's not that I'm against efficiency, right? I I'm, I like to take the least number of steps, putting away the dishes in the dishwasher. It, it it's it's just not it's just not the, the the what should not be the focus of what strategy is abo- about. Because by definition, it isn't it isn't efficient. <laughs> so.
2: And, and, uh, you know, Ed, you clipped for me. uh, I was watching a talk by Gilder. I think he was over in Israel, by the way. Um, Not exactly sure where he was given this talk, but he actually got into that whole difference between efficiency and effectiveness. And he quoted Drucker, but he said something that uh, I thought was really profound. You know, he said the efficiency gains um, that companies make are, are trivial to the economy what we're looking for is innovation dynamism new business models right new new Mm -hmm. new things that are going to propel economic growth not just tinkering around the edges and getting three percent more efficient you know we didn't get the transistor by breaking apart the vacuum tube better and 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 you know making everything efficient in its production or the buggy whip (laughs) you know that didn't we do the automobile it was it it was you know thinking about effectiveness thinking about new things and I think that's another big big problem with um with with planning is is it, it just it it's not about creativity it's about extrapolation it's about keeping structures kind of preserving them as they are uh right. you know it's more about stability over adaptability or even invention
3: right preserving preserving the status quo as opposed to breaking the status quo and and that's always been my my flashpoint of when a business begins to die is when it loses that entrepreneurial spirit and makes the shift from how do, how do we innovate better to how do we do what we do more efficiently. And right. it, when, they make, when that inflection point comes and more time is spent on, the, on, on that efficiency piece, that's the, that's the beginning of the death spiral in my view. I, I
2: couldn't agree more. I mean, I think either a company or an industry that is at the apogee of their efficiency <laughs> is mm-hmm. is ripe for going down. I mean yeah. you can see this throughout history, right? I mean I, I bet you BlackBerry was at the apogee of its efficiency curve.
3: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure Motorola.
2: Motorola, mm-hmm. they were they were the embodiment of Six Sigma.
3: Yes, that's true, <laughs>
2: and and, and now true. they're now they're what their patents are owned by Google,
3: right? Well, because I mean you, you got to continue to innovate, and that's another thing. that innovation is clearly not efficient either. So, uh, I just want to spend one minute. We've got a, on on the the term that that you taught me as well, which is the the other effing term, um, which is efficacious. And I think if you're going to break out the efficacious word in a business context. During, during your, your strategy conversations is the time to do it. I, I like to define efficaciousness as, as, as reaching the maximum possible benefit. And the benefit, of course, is the benefit to who? Well, to customers. So if you're going to talk that concept of efficaciousness, strategy is the time to do it.
2: Agreed. Well, this has been great, Ed, and it's a great article, and folks, again, we will post it up on the uh, full show notes, and uh, we'll get that Gilder uh, clip as well in there so you can see how, how Gilder addresses the, uh, <laughs> the effing debate, but uh, it's amazing how aligned he is with, uh, with us on that, Ed. It's fantastic to see, uh, but in the meantime, folks, I'd like to remind you, you can follow us at, at, uh, on Twitter at, at AskTSOE or hashtag ask tsoe as well and then you can um please leave us uh, a review on itunes would be greatly appreciated and if you'd like to contact ed or myself and give us an idea like mark did for future shows or topics you'd like to hear us address you can do that at ask tsoe at verisage.com and now we want to take a break and uh i think you'll get to hear from our good buddy great kite
1: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kles's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network.
0: We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
3: And one more shout out to our listener, Mark, who suggested this topic for us today. You know, Ron, we have talked a lot about strategy in different Context, but I really appreciate Mark's suggestion that we sh- we de- we do a show dedicated dedicated specifically to strategy because I think it, it does give us the opportunity to put many of these thoughts down in one place. And you have a book that you is your go to on strategic planning, and that's Henry Mintzberg's book, The Rise and Fall of Strategic Planning. Curiously, this guy was a former president of the Strategic Management Society, and yeah. I guess. <laughs> I guess, you know, they, he, he must, he must've had his card taken away from him. Uh,
2: uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the same thing, but, but yeah, uh, no doubt (laughs) this book, Ed, it's one of those books and and look, it was written 94. So it's 22 years old. I read it in 2000. So I was a little bit late to the table, but uh, it's just one of those books that whacked you uh, across the head and, and changed my mind literally changed my mind i i i think this guy brick by brick takes down strategic planning and you know he he does so and 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 it's very difficult to do this book justice because it's 450 pages or something and it's and like his other books very well written very well researched this guy does his homework he's one of my favorite business authors and you know right up there with like clayton christensen and gary hamill you know he's in that tier and um He says, "Look, you know, almost every decision we make is about the future, right? (laughs) I mean, if you're going to order a sandwich today for lunch, you're 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 kind of doing, you're engaging in planning, right? Most of our decisions are future-driven." And he said, "You know, even the squirrel stores nuts for the winter. Is that because they're more sophisticated than us, or is that because planning is even less so?" (laughs) Um, Okay. And and you know he he does talk about the literature a lot in the book and not a lot but but somewhat you know like Michael Porter for instance the father of you know strategy I guess you could say looks at it as positioning you know where is your uh, company going to be positioned in the mar- marketplace where say Peter Drucker uh, looked at strategy from a perspective theory you know in other words what's the theory of the business the culture mm-hmm. how do we do what we do that type of thing so there's 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 conflicting. Uh, thought in, in the literature, but the book lays out the fundamental fallacies of planning. And, and I'm going to give them to you there. The first one is something I think we can all agree on, predetermination, the idea that we can predict the future. You know, as George Gilder loves to say, the future always takes us by surprise. Creativity, right, always takes us by surprise. That's his information theory of capitalism, that it's a, that it, that it's a surprise system. Right? New innovations, new products, new services, new business models. Um, the, the fact that planning is detached, it's detachment from operations and or the managers who actually carry out day to day and have all that tacit knowledge that the planners really don't have access to. Right, <laughs> As they mm-hmm. sit in their ivory tower and plan. And they said the third one is formalization. The idea that just because you put something down and put it on paper... He said all of these three things, predetermination, detachment, and formalization add up to the grand fallacy that analysis can produce synthesis. And he says analysis is not synthesis and strategic planning is not strategy formulation. Therefore, the very term strategic planning is an oxymoron. (laughs) And he goes on to just, you know, brick by brick. Tear this down and 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 give massive failures with it. But let me just give you one or a couple. Jack Welch came into General Electric. Now General Electric literally wrote the book on strategic planning. Oh yeah. The 60s in the heyday, man. They then they every division did it. They you know everything. Jack Welch Mm -hmm. came and dismantled it all. He said because what we need around here is not more data and more planning, but more judgment. And he cratered their strategic planning group. He cratered it. Wow. And, you know, because, again, (laughs) um, you know, just looking at the data, looking at the existing structure and extrapolation, you know, this institutional incrementalism. The other point that he makes, and I love this because I've seen this in so many different contexts, but, you know, the so-called whiz kids from Ford, uh, best exemplified by Robert McNamara. Who was the Secretary of Defense under Johnson? Well, this guy had data on everything. His system was PPBS, which was Planning, Programming, Budgeting System, right? This Mm -hmm. is how he ran the Vietnam War. Give us the body counts. We're going to, you know, and he was the ultimate planner. And it was one of the biggest failures of all time, the most humiliating military defeat for this country. Um, And other political scientists and others who have written about this have literally said PPBS, PPBS, sorry, has failed everywhere and at all times. So this idea that you can just sit in an ivory tower and plan and expect the peons below to carry it out, you know, and, and one thing I love that he does in the book is when they don't carry it out, the planners say, well, it's not the plan, it's the bad execution, Right. right. If only you dumbbells executed better. Well, here's Mintzberg's point about that. Well, if you're so smart, why didn't you take into account that we are dumbbells?
3: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, well argued. Well argued. But but Ron, what would you think that Mintzberg and your reading of him, what would he say about the small entrepreneur? Because in a sense... The small business it, 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 you know the peons are are developing the strategy and they're and they are also going to be the exec, the, the those that execute it as well Don't, right wouldn't you agree with that
2: yes, yes, I would, and I think he would too, and I think he would like that better because then at least you've got the people that have that tacit knowledge you know they're at the coal face they know the customers they know the operations at a deep level, and they're the ones that not only have to do the the planning but also execute it i think he would like that better that's what he was saying he says you know the planners need to get out of the tower and, and and climb back down into the factory floor or go out and talk to the customers or at least go out into the marketplace and see what the heck's going on you know mcnamara had no idea you know as he was doing his body counts the vietcom were marching down the line and <laughs> invading the south even more because he just didn't have the facts on the ground Mm-hmm. That, you know that the people had, so um you know he he's got a very dismal view of uh of strategic planning and and uh, I think he would answer our show's title um you know, is it efficient or is it effective or is it neither? I think he would definitely say it is neither um he also, ed in in a good chunk of the book in the chapter in the book, he counters the argument and and I know you've heard this a million times, well. Ed, Ron, any plan is better than none at all. Right? Like, yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's the process that counts, right? It's right. it's um so so Mintzberg said so really it's not utopia. So planning's not utopia. It's only the road to it, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, he says it's a rain dance. He said the problem is the the process the the process of planning seems to improve the dancing, not the weather. <laughs> <laughs> well said. and uh you know he 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 also takes on the idea because he he, he's got he's got all the excuses for why strategic planning has failed by by the you know the drivers of it the expensive consultants and the people that make a living off doing this right you should see the the uh the excuses they put forth on why this stuff fails right um and he equates it to frederick winslow taylor and the one best way the idea that here's all the intelligence, we have the grand plan, and then the plebs are going to execute it, um, you know he thinks that's insane. The, the real knowledge is down on the shop floor, and that needs to be tapped into as well. Um, and, and he kind of says, look, planning is defended um, not for what it's accomplished, but for what it mm-hmm. symbolizes, which is rationality. Because it right. feels good to, to you know to do this to go through this exercise, it 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 like we say in so many other contexts, it's the illusion of control.
3: Yeah. Whether we're talking yeah. about
2: timesheets, whether we're talking about performance appraisals, <laughs> it's that illusion of control. And I'm telling you, he builds an incredible case for it, and that's why this book literally changed my my opinion on the, on the futility of strategic planning. I mean, at a macro level, writ large, forget about a company like GE or even a small mom-and-pop store. Just look at the biggest central planning there is, the old Soviet Union, China, Cuba, North Korea. I mean, take your pick of communism, socialist uh, country, but it's, it's a massive failure because partly because of the knowledge problem, right? The calculation problem that von Mises and Friedrich Hayek identified you know, the planners just don't know enough. And mm-hmm. so it's it's real arrogance.
3: So in a, in a sense, what, what makes communism fail is what makes businesses fail as well, right? I mean, in an ironic twist. Of, it, it is of an that.
2: ironic twist because he does point out as well, because I guess, again, you know, he's Canadian. So he likes to, he likes to get in the shots at America when he can. But he says, look, this whole strategic plan thing grew up in america most of the Mm -hmm. literature most of the companies that embrace it they're all american and he said you know and here you have this capitalist country this laissez-faire country and yet they're embracing the the worst aspects of you know communism or socialism it's a real interesting point
3: well it is and and but you know what that comes down to is 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 this uh, the, the the frame of reference that that We have, which is World War Two, which was extraordinarily successful due to planning. And I think that that, you know, shout out to Eisenhower and MacArthur and and all all of uh, those guys uh, who uh, Nimitz, you know, but but it's only it's only sustainable as a as a war machine. Right. Because because people will make
2: enormous sacrifices for war.
3: Well, and, and I was, and as, as you were saying, this I was thinking, it, the, the, but war is the, is the antithesis of a being about creativity. It's about destruction.
2: Oh, absolutely. Right.
3: right? So you, That's... so you can, you can plan destruction. I can take out a company faster than I can create a plan that'll, that'll rise it up. Right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. it would be easy to destroy a company. Well, uh, and you bring up Russia, you know, the other thing I th- th- I always think is funny. And I, I always bring this out when I talk to people who are so in love with Microsoft project and. And and are pretty Gantt charts that you can produce. But Gantt Gant was huge in the Soviet Union. They loved they loved Absolutely. Mr. Gant. And Gantt. And Gantt was the
2: devotee of Taylor, wasn't he?
3: Oh yes. Yeah, no. Sat yeah. at the foot of Taylor and then, you know, but he's the guy who put these these Gantt charts together that, you know, everybody needs. And in fact, some people equate with with a uh, either a strategic plan or with a project plan. They equate it. That that is the that is the plan. That Gantt chart is the plan. And it's, it's it's pretty scary. I will say this, though, Ron, and I think this is I, the important part of the context here is that in small businesses, one of the, and this is the last thing I usually say in my, my sessions when I talk about strategy, is that uh, the exact opposite of what you brought up earlier, which was this, this something is better than nothing, I take the exact opposite tack. And that is, I say, if you're not going to commit to to actual execution if if you don't think it can be executed the best thing to do is do nothing just continue to just wing it you're better it'd be it'd be way better if you just wing it than go through this big exercise even in a small company right of of developing and executing and trying to execute this plan if if uh, you're not going to be commi- fully committed to it
2: right uh, i think that's a really good point and uh, i also think your point about posing better questions is Mm -hmm. is where this this planning should go or needs to go it needs to go into the question the ideation the creation stage it can't be just data looking and backwards looking and quantifiable it's got to be about judgment it's got to be about creativity and imagination you know Um, otherwise i think it just devolves into a, a, a budget on steroids
3: yep agreed all right, well, Ron, we got one more segment to, to talk about, and I think we'll continue to dissect some of uh, Henry Minzberg's book. But we want to remind you that you can get a hold of myself or Ron by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. That's A-S-K-T-S-O-E at Verisage. And we do want to remind you that our book is available if you go to com slash book. You can see a copy of that out on Amazon. Please, reviews of that book and, of course, reviews of the po- podcast or the currency that we deal in. So if you just have a moment over the course of the holidays here and you want to give a shout-out to the Soul of Enterprise, we would much appreciate that. But right now we're going to hear from our sponsor and, of course, my employer, Sage.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S., these are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today.
1: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
0: We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
2: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here talking about strategic planning. Is it efficient, effective, or neither? <laughs> and like to remind you, you can contact Ed or myself at AskTSOE. Uh, at Verisage.com. And they had just a couple more points on this Mintzberg book. Um, you know, he says the other thing about the, he does talk a lot about the quantification fetish that we seem to have with data. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he yep. says, it's, you know, what they're really trying to do here is, is just use goals as a means of control, right? So this is kind of what I meant by budget on steroids, right? And some of the right. planning kind of devolves into that. But the other point he likes to, because he's really picking on the strategic consultants here and the and, and people in and companies that, I mean, you know, Shell Oil and things like that have entire strategic planning departments. And he's really talking a lot about that as well. Um, it's not so much the small business, but he does say that these people, you know, love to point to when there's a success. They say, see, see, we, we you know, we called that. He says, well, but the core, the the core the causation could run the other way that you know rich companies can afford planners
0: <laughs> right
3: right 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 yeah so, as with anything in business whenever you try to to to, to, to attack attach causality you're usually wrong so right.
2: and, and i found it really interesting too he quotes a lot of interesting people from history uh he, he's got a a couple things from Emmanuel Kant in there, uh, but uh, he he quoted Henry Kissinger, who referred to planning as a sop to administrative theory, which I, <laughs> which I thought which I thought was um, was was pretty interesting. So um, he takes pretty dim view of it, and I I think his book is really compelling. And and uh, even if you don't agree with all of it, folks, I think it's a really good read. If you're involved in any type of strategic planning, even for even for your customers, I, I think it's a good uh, good book to have in your arsenal because it really does give you some some things to think about about what not to do and why strategic planning is it's mostly structured or mostly executed does, doesn't uh, work as planned.
3: And and again, why our, 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 our this is really more a caveat to our listeners, who most of whom are in small and medium businesses and are, and are really building their business. I, I think that there are things that you can take from the, the classic literature of strategic planning and implement them and to, 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 for the betterment of your organization. But you know, following the caveats that Ron and I have laid out today, and I, I just want to share one other insight that I had, and this this goes back to a time when I owned my own organization and we were really struggling with, with with some of this stuff. I I was of the belief that strategic planning was this this mystical process until I I, I finally dug, dug, dug into it and and found that it's really just about asking a couple questions. But one of the things that really helped us from a small business standpoint was the fact that we changed our our cadence of of looking at the at strategy from Three months and doing it on a quarterly basic basis, which is the classic way that companies do this, and we we went to a trimester basis and went to every four months, mm. and it really made a big difference. I mean, you know, again, and here I am trying to trying to cite causality. I I, I noticed that when we went from a ninety day cycle to a hundred and twenty day cycle, we did a lot better. Was that just coincidence it's possible i have to admit it, it was po- is possible but we did find that everybody in the organization said that that it w- it gave us that extra 30 days and for whatever reason that 120 day cycle seemed to work within the flow of our business better um, well, we thought about going to once every 6 months but we thought that was too long so we went to 4 months and I, it really it just worked it just worked for us i and I guess my my now that I think about it my 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 warning is don't get hung up on the quarterly piece M- Maybe that's not the right cadence for your organization maybe that's maybe maybe it needs to be quicker, maybe you need to look at this monthly uh or maybe you lo- maybe you need to look at it six months, maybe it's going to be different for your organization than it was for mine. so don't get caught up in that that trap of well plans are done quarterly and we, we've got to be there. Right. And
2: and I would also say don't get hung up on going too long out either. You know, it's often said like the Catholic Church has a 500-year plan, but but they're rooted in, in deep beliefs, right? And and they change very slowly. I mean, they're kind of designed to preserve the status quo where businesses have to be incredibly nimble or and, and adaptable. And so I think planning three year, five year, 10 year. I mean, for certain things, yeah, I can see a big project or something like that, but you know, who, who can predict the future? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure I'd want to be able to predict the future, even if we could. So I, I just think we can go too long on this. And that's another point that Mintzberg brings out as well.
3: Uh, clearly. And I, I think it, you know, the, I, I think what's important to, to note is that the, that plan whether it's a two-year, five-year, ten-year, whatever, whatever period that you you talk about, that, that, that's that's just a guideline for you in the visioning process to to try to think about the time horizon that far out. It it's not, in my opinion, anyway, meant like some kind of a like a courageous goal or Hag, which is the thing that Jim Collins talks about. You know that 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 that's I think superior to strategy. That's that's its that's its more part of shared vision than it does and you know that's the thing that's not going to change but the strategy to get there that canon should change and it can change relatively quickly you know and i know i've made this point before to run but but darwin darwin is is misquoted as saying survival of the fittest right um if if anything he said survival of the most adaptable adaptable you and, know i mean and yeah and that's i think is a key point
2: no it is you're exactly right i mean you know disney's values or ha- creating happiness right but but they can do that through great movies or you know they branched into amusement parks and then they branched into cruise ships and owning an island and and you know there's all sorts of different ways to to execute but it, it is all founded on your on your core beliefs i mean i guess this goes back to rabbi lapin but you know we are defined and i think a company is defined not by what we know but by what we believe and I guess that's your shared vision aspect of it,
3: correct. and you know not not out to Simon Sinek and start with why and as with many of these things, if if you're if you're struggling with with start with why if you're struggling with strategy, start with why right um and that and that's and that's really the 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 mantra of howard and and I mentioned Doug Bergam is on that model of, of, of 7S, and we will put up a picture of the model so that you can see it. When you, whenever you're struggling, the, what, what, we, what was constantly said in, in meetings at in our organization was look left on the model. If you're struggling with sis, a system situation, go back to your people. If you're struggling with a people situation, go back to, to, to your strategy. If you're struggling with strategy, go back to shared vision. Right. Look left.
2: Well, Ed, this has been wonderful. How do you make God laugh? tell them your plans yeah <laughs> I think that kind of sums up my attitude on this but uh next what do we have next week ed
3: next week we're going to be intro- interviewing one of our favorite people the visionary of value at art of value podcaster and verisage fellow kirk bowman
2: awesome i look forward to it seeing you in 167 hours Been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. We will post uh, everything that we talked about today, including the books and videos and Ed's article. And also, you can contact Ed and myself at Ask. T-S-O-E at Bearsage.com. Thanks for listening, folks.
1: Have a great weekend.